The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning, Springs Church. Welcome in the name of Jesus. If you're visiting with us, we're glad you're here. If you're joining us in person or online, welcome in the name of Jesus. May his peace and his grace be upon you. We here at the Springs are a church that is being transformed to the image of Christ so that anyone can find their way to God, and we do that through three ways. We gather in the name of the Father. We want to grow into the image of the Son and go by the power of the Spirit, and we're in a season of grow, our theme grow. And so we've, again, last week and this week and next week, Brett's going to finish it up, talk about growing into our identity. Today I want to talk about community or belonging. Making your way in the world today takes everything you got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you just want to go where everybody knows your name, and they're always glad you came. You want to go where you can see the troubles are all the same. You want to go where everybody knows your name. The sitcom Cheers debuted in 1982, and I know many of you know it because I heard several of you singing that song, almost like it was part of our worship service this morning. Maybe we'll make it a part of the worship one day. (laughs) And little did they know, it became one of the most popular sitcoms, not only the 80s into the 90s, early 90s, but maybe one of the most popular sitcoms of all time. It was a show about a bar. The setting was the bar, and basically they were just sitting around the bar, and the the episodes would happen around this community that met together in a bar in Boston. And one would think that the jingle that opened up the series, Cheers, one would think that you would have a song that was the intro song for this show to be, well, cheery. But when it comes to when everybody knows your name, this song is tinged with melancholy and with hard times. But when the opening twinkle of that piano came on on Thursday night and when millions of people sat around their televisions and they heard that jingle that you just heard everybody knew they belonged there's a study that came out by the US government and a term that they used Uh, about belonging. They did a study where they surveyed across uh, the United States how people felt like they belonged, not only in the nation, in their communities, in their workplaces, in their families. And one of the words that that they kind of invented or that they they kind of chose was this idea of non-belonging, which is to feel like you're excluded from a community or you're just kind of ambiguous in any group of people. 
And what they actually found in their survey that they cite is the majority of Americans report feeling like they don't belong. So here's some stats on that. 64% feel like they don't belong in their place of work. 64%. feel like they don't belong in this nation. 74% of people feel like they don't belong in their own local community. Even the most intimate parts of life, this picture is, isn't, isn't any rosier. 44% of Americans report that they don't feel like they fully belong amongst their friends. Now, they didn't qualify so much what that meant, but this, this feeling of reporting, I don't belong in some way. 44% of Americans report they don't feel like they belong fully with their friends, and 40% of Americans say they experience non-belonging in their own families. Nearly 20% of Americans, one out of five people, report that they don't feel like they belong in all five of those categories. Work, nation, their neighborhoods, their friends, and their family. And these results, they said, are difficult to fathom, in part because of their unsettling implications. The implications they have for institutions around us, for our communities, for our neighborhoods, for even our country. They also cited in the study that psychologists have this theory of belongingness. And they say that belonging is an innate motivational drive to form and maintain positive relationships and emotional bonds with others. They said our need to belong is so great that it permeates our thoughts, our feelings, our behaviors, and it's integral to, connect, uh, to, to how we connect with other people, and how we not only connect with other people, but belonging is integral to how we see ourselves and how we see our future. That a feeling or the reality of not belonging to a particular people deeply affects how one sees themselves, what one does in their life, and how they view their future. In fact, they say that our brains are actually hardwired this way, even from birth, to make these emotional bonds and connections of belonging. So much so that you, you probably have heard this, but even when you were in your mother's womb, your heartbeat and your mother's heartbeat began to synchronize. And then it happens once we're born that we look to our caregivers and we start acting and behaving and learning how to live and connect through the ones that are most close to us. And they say that this actually is a bonding and a con connecting moment that actually for our future really helps us create empathy and connect with other people in our adult lives. People that work with children, they know this.
They also say this, that psychologists say that belonging or feeling a sense of belonging is as vital and as important as love in our lives. This is why we seek belonging in the first place. And they also say it's as vital to our survival as food and water is. The human need to belong. And we not only know this is true in our own personal lives because we feel it, but as Christians we know this because we are made in the image of God. And to be made in the image of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Holy Communion. The Son belongs to the Father. The Father belongs to the Son. The Spirit belongs in that community. So to be made in the image of God is to have this deep desire and need to belong. Ephesians 2:19. Through 22, it says this. So then, you are no longer aliens and strangers, but you belong with God's people. And also members are members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as our chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple of the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. You are no longer aliens or strangers. That word stranger comes up in this text and it's a word that's connected with a word that Scholars and psychologists, like the one I talked about in this report, they talk about it's connected with this other word that this phenomenon that we experience in Western culture or in American life and in the communities that we're part of, this word called estrangement. And while we may not fully acknowledge this, that one of the things that our culture really struggles with is feeling estranged. Right? There's estrangement, first of all, from other people. You heard that in the statistics. Like from work, we feel estranged at work. We feel estranged in our community, maybe in our nation, maybe amongst our friends, maybe amongst our family. We feel a bit alienated. And maybe there's nothing bad happening, but we just maybe feel invisible, like we don't really matter. But one of the things that they know is that not only do we feel estranged even not fully, but at times from other people. But this actually causes us to have this experience of estrangement even from ourselves. And what that means is, is that when we're disconnected from other people, we become disconnected from our own understanding about who we are and what our purpose is in the world. That's what self-estrangement is. And it shows up in a few ways, this sense of self-estrangement, that when we're separated from other people in this way, we feel like we lose sense of our own purpose, our own identity, and much of it is we begin to lose this self-worth. Do I matter? 
And it shows up in a few ways. One, that people have this sentiment, and especially regarding church, although it's not exclusive to church, but especially in regards to church, that people feel this estrangement because they have this saying or this feeling. Man, if they knew what I've done, they wouldn't want to have anything to do with me. If they knew what I've done, there's no way they could accept me. I mean, church is full of good people, or at least people that are better than I am, and I'm not as good, I'm not as responsible as they are. I don't have my life altogether like they do. In fact, if I show up, I'll pollute the whole thing. Now, we might say it like that, but that's how we feel. So my actions, they disqualified me. Now, some people have been made to feel this way by, by church. And if you're one of those people, I'm very sorry if you've been made to feel that way. But others, it's just the way they feel. If they knew what I did, there's no way they accept it's, would accept me. A similar aspect of this, of feeling this estrangement, particularly from church, is this sentiment. If they knew what I've been through, there's no way they can relate to me. Nobody's been through what I've been through. How can anybody there relate to what I've gone through? What will they think? I mean, the stigma that's attached to me and my past, what will they do with that? Will they even know what to do with it? They won't get me. How could they get me? And the temptation there is to think that I'm the only one that has been through stuff. Or this third way of thinking. If they really knew me, they wouldn't like me. It's not so much that I'm bad, it's that there's not much there to like. So I've got to put on a mask, the old mask thing. I've got to put on a mask every time I show up because if I really showed who I really was, it's not that I'm bad, it's just that nobody's going to like that. Who would like that? If my mask slips, it'd be all over. But perhaps... It wouldn't change things much after all, since often no one seems to really care who I really am anyway. And the problem is that for many of us in, in this world, it is often that we're made to feel invisible, unheard, 
We have no power or agency. We're made to feel insignificant. We're afterthoughts, like outcasts. And inside the feeling, not only with the third one, but with the other three, because whether it's what you've done in your past or what you've been through, they won't accept me, they won't get it. If they really knew me, they wouldn't like me. It causes this kind of estrangement from communities. Even just when you show up, you can feel this way because you have this way of thinking in your own. And it's real. It's not just something in your head. It's, it's, it's real. It's what many of us experience. And what it does, it leaves us with this emptiness, this void, this ache that resides right here in your gut, the fear that being nobody, which, which renders actions of afraid of being rejected and not having people like you. So, what we do in the midst of all three of those things is that we try to be who others want us to be. Maybe I'll belong that way. Until we don't know who we are anymore. And then life seems like a deception. And you become increasingly alienated from your own self. Your identity, who you are, what your purpose is. We talked about purpose last week and the feeling of purposelessness. This is deeply connected. Last week we talked about salvation as being you're not just saved from, you're saved for. And if God is, through Jesus Christ, is big enough and that story is big enough to save us not only from fate and death, which early Christians were concerned about, if it's not only big enough to save us from guilt and condemnation, which we struggle with and Medieval Christians really, really struggled with. He's big enough, and that story is big enough to save us from meaninglessness and despair. Because you're not just saved from, you are saved for something. And if it's big enough to save us from meaninglessness and despair, it's big enough to save us from estrangement. from this deep lostness of not feeling or actually not belonging to anybody or to any group. And therefore, not understanding because of this estrangement, not fully understanding who you are and what your purpose is in life. I'm not talking in some fairy tale land. I'm talking in the underlayers of what American life experience, what Americans experience on some level. In fact, they say this, that to deny estrangement in one's own life is somehow evidence that it actually exists. 
we're so scared to say, you know, we don't belong anywhere. So the gospel says this. Here's good news. Here's the good news from Ephesians. Here's the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news is this. You belong. Ephesians says, you belong to God's people and you are members of God's household. If they've really known what I've done, there's no way they could accept me. Great Powell, who just recently moved to Southern California. He was a member here at the Springs. We just prayed for him and sent him off. He's in ministry. He just posted, I've been following on Instagram, and he, he posted a story, a very short story that I was reminded of, a story that Philip Yancey told. That in Philip Yancey's church, there was an alcoholic that came up to him, and the, he commented, he says, hey, when I show up late to church, nothing really stops except that people just kind of turn their head and look at me and give me this glare that makes me feel like you're late. And while they don't say it, it makes me feel like they're saying to me, you're not as responsible as with it as I am. But he says, this alcoholic tells Philip Yancey, but when I show up to my AA meetings... When I show up late to my AA meetings, they stop everything they're doing and they get up out of their chair and they come and hug me and embrace me and they welcome me because they know even though I'm late that because I showed up that my need for that community is greater than my need for that alcohol. And Gray, in his post, he writes this. He said, let's make sure people know. Let's make sure people always know how welcome they are and that our table is really big and there's always a place with their name on it at our table. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. The second part of the good news is this. Not only that you belong, that you and I are joined together. That Jesus Christ joins us together. It says, in Christ, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple of the Lord. And so when we have these feelings of saying, if they knew what I've been through, there's no way they could relate to me. One of the metaphors for church that I like a lot, and it's been around maybe earlier than this, but it's been around at least since the Protestant Reformation and Martin Luther, is that this metaphor and this saying that the church should be a hospital for the sick. Jesus says, I didn't, I didn't come to call the righteous but sinners. And it comes from that passage in Luke. 
It's this idea that when you go to the hospital, you're not going to a place full of health. You're going to a place where there's lots of sickness and ailments. Some are small, some are big. And even the physicians that are there to care for you, even though they may not be sick at the time, guess what? They need doctors too. Nobody goes to the hospital. Rarely do they go to the hospital embarrassed. Usually when you go to the hospital, you go with a little bit of hope. Now, sometimes you may be embarrassed you have to go to the hospital. But you hope that in going to the hospital that there's hope and healing and goodness that comes out of that. And you know you're not the only one. You're joined together. And we're joined together and when we come into this room, I might not have been what had the experience that you had, and you might not have had the experience that I've, I've had, but guess what? Everybody in this room is carrying something. And there are people in this room, lots and lots of people. They may not fully get what you've gone through, but they want to help you carry it. You know how I know that? Because people have carried my burdens with me. And I've watched you carry other people's burdens. And it may not be every single person in this room, but all it takes is one. You know that. One person that carries your burden. And you found your people. And the third piece of good news, not only do you, not only do you, uh, not only do you belong, not only are you joined together, but you're being built Ephesians says, and in Christ, you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And when we say, if they really knew me, they wouldn't like me. This is when we lose our sense of who we are. If they knew me, they wouldn't like me. When I moved from Oklahoma to Portland, Oregon in the summer of 1999. I didn't know anybody out in Portland, Oregon. And I had a really strong community. I'd been at Oklahoma Christian as a student, and I'd been deeply invested in that community, and I had lots of roles and responsibilities, particularly around ministry and internships and things like that. When I went up to Portland, I didn't know anybody. And what I did was I started, when I went to church, I was kind of burnt out from leading a lot. So I decided, you know what, I'm just going to go sit on back rows. And for a while, it was a really good experience. I needed some time to go sit on the back row. But a couple of months turned into six months, and six months turned into eight months. And I was in a new place, and I didn't know anybody, sitting on back rows of churches, just observing. And I can't tell you a sense of lostness that I felt. It made me begin to question, who am I? 
I mean, it was just eight months ago that I knew exactly who I was and I knew exactly the things I was good at and I was involved in those things and I was doing them. And then within eight months, and this was, oh, this was on me. This wasn't on the community I was, I was going to. This was on me. I was sitting in back rows, not participating fully. And I began to question my own identity and what I was good at. And even if I was even worthy to be there, it's funny how that happens. And then I decided, I'm going to invest in this community. So I jumped in full board to the East County Church of Christ, and not only did they embrace me, I, know, I was not only reminded of who I was and what I was gifted at because they started to see that and I started to be involved and I gave myself open to going to lunches with people and to getting involved. And when they asked me to do something, I said, sure. And when I saw something, I got involved. I started doing it and I started, not only did they remind me of who I was and what I was good at, they, they taught me new things about myself that I never fully understood and they empowered me in ways that helped me grow and mature into different gifts and purposes and ways of serving. And eventually, that little church sent Kim and I to Uganda, East Africa to be missionaries. They helped me grow into who God wanted me to be. This is the year of grow. This is not what we talk about. If we talk about growing a lot and what it means to grow in Christ or to grow into anything, if you tell me, Ben, I want to grow, I'm going to ask you, what community do you belong to? How invested are you in the people around you? How committed are you to the people in this room if you want to grow? Because it is very difficult to grow in your identity and purpose in Christ unless you belong. And it's our responsibility to make sure we feel welcome and that we belong. That's how we're, people are going to grow. And it's our responsibility to get involved, to belong to a particular people. With Christ... You are no longer a stranger. You belong. And we're joined together to be a temple of the Lord. And in Him, you are being built together to be a dwelling place, to be empowered and to grow by God's Spirit. Will you stand?